It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We're back on the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, November 5th, 2015. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. And uh, behind the controls, uh, Kyle Barnes is here. Kyle, thank you for coming tonight. Good to be here. And uh, we'll, we'll want some comments from you tonight, uh, Kyle, as we go along. <laughs> and uh, look forward to hearing from you in the chat room. 877-381-4567 is the toll-free number to use. Again, the chat room if you're watching us live tonight. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use at any time. Look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Uh, one of those programs tonight that's sort of uh, random. Well, it's a random you know, program. I think some of our listeners thought we were overdoing the question of biblical wine. Yeah. Uh, we spent three weeks on that. Three out of the last four weeks, actually, we spent on that. But we really thought it was an important subject. We wanted to deal with it very thoroughly. And yeah. so we make no apologies for the fact that we, that we spent a lot of time on that. that <clears throat> in fact, we would have used more time if we could have. I right. Think. But in fact, there's, we're actually going to talk a little bit about that tonight in one of the questions that we want to deal with. A question came up that we want to deal with later in the program, just, just a sort of a side note. In passing, not a whole yeah, program. Yeah, on it. Right. Okay. But tonight, but if you haven't, if you, if you didn't catch those three weeks, go back and check them in our archives. Yeah. Uh, you'll want to, you'll want to check that out. Yeah, we tried to be quite thorough on the subject of the wine and the Bible, so. Look at that. A break? Okay. Uh, but tonight we're going to do what I really enjoy, Jacob, and that is one of our, I like to call them smorgasbord programs. I don't know if everybody knows what a smorgasbord is. That's, I don't That's sort of. That, that's old on, terminology, yeah. but it's probably the word we would use today is buffet. You know, uh-huh, you, know yeah. you, you go to a buffet. You can just pick what you want and you talk, you, you, you take what you like and you leave what you don't. Well, this is sort of a buffet or a smorgasbord of biblical subjects, and we're going to be dealing with questions that have been submitted by uh, some of our listeners and, and some questions that have come to us from various avenues. And these are very these are very random. There There is no connection. I don't, I don't you may can make a stretch to make some connections here, but what about listening to recorded a cappella music? you got some questions here about fertility issues, which I don't know that we've ever talked yeah, about. On yeah, the we'll have to be a little delicate in discussing some of that. But. And uh, how often should we give of our means if we don't get paid every week? And, uh, well, here's one. This is probably a hot-button issue with some of the uh, some of our listeners. What about no Sunday evening services? Yeah, what do you think about congregations abandoning Sunday evening services? Now, is there any scripture to help us with that? What do you think about that? Uh, so we'll look forward to your thoughts. You want to stay tuned to the whole program, in other words, as we talk about these various yeah. issues. Yeah. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out those five questions. One about listening to recorded a cappella singing or music. Another about what about churches that are not that are sort of abandoning their Sunday night services. Number three, if you get paid once a month, should you only give on Sunday once a month? Number four, some questions about 
conception for for husbands and wives who are having trouble uh, mm-hmm. uh, with conception. And number five, back to the wine question, just briefly: Did Jesus use fermented wine when he instituted the Lord's Supper? And should we be using fermented Lord when we uh, fermented wine when we observe the Lord's Supper? All right, let us know your thoughts and stay tuned and comment as we go along. Jump in if you're not signed in the chat room tonight. You'll need to do that because it's going to be rapid fire and you won't have time to necessarily sign in when we get to the subject you want to comment on. So sign in there, be ready to go. And you can even type your comment in and have it ready and then hit enter when we get to that if you'd like. Uh, and you can chat with other listeners tonight. Okay. We, we sent out those questions. I started to say this, Jacob. We sent out those questions to our email update list yes. earlier today. And we always remind people, get on our list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say add me to the list. Okay. And we will do that. And then on Thursday about noon, we send out the topic for or topics for discussion on that night, and that's what we did today. Uh-huh. Uh, we're seeking input. We'll, we, we take emails, although my computer is really messing up right now. I may not be able to field emails here for a minute. We try to take emails during the program, but especially in that chat room, Jacob, if people uh, can make their comments. We don't always get to the chat room or every comment made in the chat room, but chat among yourselves, so to speak. If we don't get there, why go ahead and chat among yourselves. And I just got a text message. Anthony has sent in some comments. He says if we need more material, you might check your inbox there with Anthony. Well, once I get this computer working, I okay, probably will. Okay. okay. Sorry, Anthony. I can't get it just yet, but right. I'll, I'll try to. Numero uno tonight. The <coughs> I had, a, I had a sort of an extended email exchange from <coughs> a listener, and I want to read it because it sort of gives the tone of what he was thinking. Uh, He says, I was listening to your June 4th edition of the Virgin Bible Study and wanted clarification of your position. I often listen to a cappella hymns recorded from a congregation in my car for edification. I sing along with the recording most of the time as well. Did I understand correctly that it was your position that it was wrong to listen to such music? Then he he sent another email with a little amplification. He said... uh, uh, the part I'm referring to, about seven and a half minutes into the recording, a listener had written in and stated that he knew of people who listened to CDs of religious music. He stated that if it's worship, it's not the kind God asks for. Uh, he said if it's not worship, it's profaning the name of God. That seems like, he said, a con- this seems like a condemnation of listening to religious music. Also, at 13 minutes in, you stated basically that listening to four-part a cappella quartet in your car was wrong because it was wrong in worship services. Uh, Also stated that if it's not appropriate in worship services, it's not appropriate individually. He says, I understand the Bible to speak differently on this matter. We're given instructions to do things as individuals that are not acceptable or authorized for congregations to do. There's a difference between the individual and the group and what they're authorized to do. Paul tells us we can worship God in our everyday lives by living holy and righteous in everything we do. Uh, It is okay to worship God by buying a homeless, lost beggar a meal, but the church has no authority to do such a thing. He says, am I misunderstanding? And then one more part of this, he went on to say, would it be unauthorized for someone to sing a solo of a religious song at a wedding or a funeral? I know of some who do this. Uh, by the same argument, would watching religiously themed movies for entertainment be wrong? Like the Ten Commandments or God is Not Dead or Fireproof, some of those. Okay. So there's quite a bit there to discuss. And again, we're seeking your input. Uh, Can, what do you think? What do you think about listening to recorded a cappella music? Now, this is sort of, I think this is, 
bypassing, purposely bypassing the question of instrumental, instrumental music. music. So, so we're not even going to talk about instrumental music. The music we're talking about, uh, recorded a cappella music. What do you think about listening to that? Can we frame this up uh, with a couple of verses for us to consider? Romans 14, verse 23, But he who doubts is condemned to eat, because if he does not eat from faith, for what is, whatever is not a, from faith is sin. So Romans chapter 14 tells us we've got to do things by faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if I'm going to engage in a practice, I've got to do it by faith. That's just basic fundamentals there. Yeah. And Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells me I'm going to get that faith by the things I can read in, word, in God's word. And so as we come to this discussion, let's not, let's not approach it from any other subject other than that. Is I've got to be co- confident that this is what God wants. And I'm going to be able to be confident by looking to his word, not by things that make sense to me, not my preferences, not doing this is better than doing that, that kind of argumentation. But what does God's word say? And and if we do that, then we can come to a common agreement, I think. But there, there are going to be some different opinions maybe on this. Well, I, and I think that's really important. And, and I want everyone to understand that when we express an opinion on that sort of thing, we are doing that. I mean... I, we have not tried to bind this reasoning right. on anybody else, right. Right. Uh, but I, I have stated on past programs that I have a conscience against it because I can't get past that consideration that if I'm listening to be entertained by it, I really shouldn't be using sacred things for entertainment purposes. If, on the other hand, I'm worshiping, well, if I'm worshiping, then you know the songs that we do in worship are to be mutually edifying teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing making melody in your heart to the lord colossians 3:16 so you know if i'm listening to a recorded song service they may be teaching and admonishing me but i it's impossible it would be literally impossible that i could be teaching and admonishing them cuz i'm not even with them uh, they can't hear me, uh, that sort of thing. So I, they're just the ins and outs of that are such that I just can't feel comfortable. Yeah, with it. and we may not be able to come to an agreement on this, but uh, and but there's some things to consider. And I, I think I think it has to get beyond. Well, listening to that music is better than listening to the other stuff on the radio. That that that, that doesn't that doesn't cut it. That, that that's not justification. Yeah. Um, I like and I wouldn't deny that. I wouldn't deny that right. argument. But that's not justification. Right. And there, are, and you mentioned there's lots of ins and outs. Uh, one of those is that this is a somewhat of a passive thing, and it can really break down into entertainment and the, the quality of what you're listening to, and and and, and not so much the, the message. And so we're sort of get into that entertainment realm of things. Uh, Chris in the UK says, all I would say is uh, to that is, who is it for? Is it for you or God? That, that's and that's part of it. I mean, so it, um, to consider, uh, Lynn says, I assume the issue in mind of some is distinguishing between mere entertainment and an act of worship. I would agree that I wouldn't want to listen to spiritual songs and regard them only as mere entertainment. But an additional objection could be raised that if I'm listening to worship, it's no different than listening to a choir at services. So he's saying if it's if the choir's wrong in worship, why would it be wrong? Why wouldn't it be wrong in personal uh, worship as well? He says I believe there is a difference. I listen to a cappella music for the benefit of personal edification. Consider the Psalms. The Psalms are, ri- are written 
recording of songs performed by David and others. In addition, we have written recordings of prayers spoken by Jesus. The fact that I was not present when these events were performed as worship does not mean I cannot benefit from a review of their, their recording at this later time. I do not see why the same principle should not apply to audio recordings, whether of songs, prayers, or sermons. Okay. Well, you know, to, to Lynn's point there, though, I mean, when I'm reading a text, that's not singing. We're talking about singing. And so, so maybe the Psalms were, some of them I think perhaps were, I don't think they all were, but some of the Psalms were, I think, clearly uh, songs. They were, they were songs that were sung yeah. uh, by the Israelites. Yeah. Uh, but we're not saying we're not listening to singing. We're reading. We're reading text. We're reading instruction. Yeah. That's a whole different realm. I don't think you could make that argument and say, there, since I can read the Psalms, I can therefore listen to recorded singing. I, I, I think that's comparing apples and oranges. I, I just don't, I don't think that would be the argument that would answer this one way or the other. Okay. Again, you're going to have to make up your mind on this. You're going to have, you've got to do it by faith. Yeah. Uh, if, you're not, if you can't be confident that this is what God wants from you, then don't do it for sure. And, now, uh, now the, 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 the emailer said he thinks there are things that the individual can do that the church can't do. We agree with that wholeheartedly. With that, right. You know, he said a Christian could go out and buy a homeless beggar a meal, but the church can't. I would agree with that. Yeah. You know, again, we could go in. That's a whole other realm talking about the, the work of the church in a matter of benevolence. But this is not a question of what an individual and what the church can do. This is a question of what's authorized. And and so you, it would be your burden to find positive biblical authority to listen to others sing instructions yeah. or, or sing songs that might include spiritual instruction. And I can't find that. I can't find the positive biblical authority that would tell the individual or the or the collective that it's okay to listen rather than to sing in harm in, in unison. Okay. Uh, again, make up your mind on what, where you stand on this based upon the scriptures. Uh, guest 8779 says, Greg, you bring up a good argument. However, I think we should consider the fact that there is so much profan- uh, profanity in the music out there that sometimes a person can feel like there's nothing else positive and uplifting uplift- to listen to. All right, agreed. There, There is all kinds of profanity. But now listen, and then... And, and, this is just a comment in general, not necessarily directed to eighty-seven, seventy-nine. But it's a this is this is a relatively new phenomenon with our technology that people think that they need to listen to music all the time. A hundred years ago, people would have listened to music what maybe on Saturday night when they went to some kind of well, hundred years ago, hundred years ago. Probably there wasn't anything they could listen right. to. Right, they, they might only li- music they would listen to if it was not performed not, live, maybe on like yeah. a Saturday night. Right, or something. Yeah. I don't know when the old Victrola. Kyle, do you know when the old Victrolas were invented? I think maybe a hundred years ago they had those. Uh, maybe a hundred yeah. years ago, but, but uh, I mean, but people weren't like, they weren't they weren't riding their mule to town listening to music. I got to listen to something, and you know, they're, <laughs> we they're, don't have to listen to anything. Right, that's the point you make. Say like a lot of instrumental, like big band kind of thing. If anything. Like, Band music. Well, you know the yeah. Grand Old Opry. I think it's eighty-five years old. That was the big thing on Saturday night. You got the family around and you listen to music. Man, yeah. that was a that yeah. was a, a, yeah. a phenomenon. That was incredible to be able to do that on Saturday night. It wasn't yeah. all the time. So, in just in general, I think we've gotten too uh, 
addicted to listening to music all the time, such that people are listening to music that is is questionable in content just because, well, you got to listen to some music. Yeah, you don't have to. Li- I right. think you're exactly right that you you don't have to listen to anything, you know. Right. And so we so can't say, it well, it's better. This may not be perfect, but it's better than that. Well. What's better than either one of them is nothing if both of those are bad. And in, even if it's degree. good music, turn it off and have some quiet time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where so, you can anyway, yeah. Okay. That's a side comment. Again, not directed at 8779, but uh, I don't think that ne- <coughs> excuse me, necessarily justifies this, this just because it's better than others. We've got we need something more substantial than that. Okay. And okay. Now, uh, where are we on time? We got. Oh man, is that time right? It is. it is right. It is right. It's what? time for a break. Okay. But go ahead. Well, let's cover this real quickly. What about you go to the to a funeral uh, or a wedding or a nursing home and a few people sing and others listen? I think that'd be the same thing. I'm, I, I don't see how you can justify, you know, special music because the only music that we read about in the New Testament other than... In James chapter five, is any Mary let him sing songs? I, I might uh, sing. I might sing to myself. Yeah. Uh, but in <clears throat> regards to a a plurality of people assembled together, the only music that we have authorized in the New Testament is is what we often refer to as congregational singing that allows for teaching and admonishing one another. If I'm just listening, I don't care whether it's one. Or four or forty. In other words, I don't care whether it's a solo, a quartet, or a choir. If I'm just out here listening while they sing, I might be edified by what they're doing, but they're not edified by what I'm doing. And this is supposed to be a one another kind of activity. That's all I can. That's and so what we're saying and all that is that's where our conscience is in this matter. Yeah. Now, if you can, if you can, in your mind, figure out a way that you feel comfortable with that. Uh, you know, we've not tried to. We're not trying to bind something yeah, here, right? Uh, but that's just where we're coming from. That's that's the reason why we we come to the conclusion. And we can we get do. we can get positive biblical authority from James five verse thirteen for us if we're married to sing psalms to ourselves. I can I can do that with faith. This other activity questionable, at least in our minds. Yeah. So that's where we are. Let's take our break, and when we come back, let's talk about would this would this sort of bleed over to the question of watching religiously themed movies. Okay. We'll talk about that when we get back. All right. Uh, look, look forward to your thoughts. Uh, let us know where you stand. Uh, questions at collegeu.com. In the chat room, we'll be back right after this. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. I'm Wade Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. Regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that He commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. A Christian must keep the faith, but not to himself. He who provides for this life, but takes no care for eternity, is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. 
The man who sings his own praises always gets the wrong pitch. One backslider can do more harm in the world than 20 good Christians can undo. When the load feels heavy, it's a sign that you're climbing. One minute of keeping your mouth shut is worth an hour's explanation. The scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most comfortable way of dying. God doesn't ask you to be the best, just to do your best. Man, wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. Back on the program tonight, looking at various listener questions. We're talking about, uh, during the break, amongst ourselves, about having some quiet time in the car, where you're not getting your head pumped full of what the world wants it to be pumped full of. I mean, even just wholesome commercials. I mean, they're telling you, you got to buy this, you need that, you can't be happy with it. I mean, it can work on you. Turn it off every now and then, or turn on the virtual Bible study on your podcast. There you go. Oh, podcasting, podcasting, man, that's the way to go. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right. Now, you were talking about um, movies. Okay, the same the same emailer. And I hope we've explained ourselves. I mean, we're not, not trying not, to be uh, ugly or adamant not about adi- this. Not yet, right. Not binding yeah. our, our, our opinions here. It's just where we are on it. And and we've tried to explain why we're at where we're at. Right, and we feel comfortable. We, we feel we've got yeah. solid. Yeah, and there is, some, there is some value, in, I think, in that sort of reasoning, what we might refer to as the infallibly safe way. You know, it's it, it's right and can't be wrong to not listen, right? Right. It, uh, certainly, I'm not going to have to answer the Lord and say, "The Lord said, you know, you never listened to those CDs. Why not?" He's not going to question me on that. I can't be wrong by not doing it. On the other hand, if I can't get my conscience wrapped around this thing comfortably, then He would judge me for that. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, we know for sure that he will. If if I can't say definitively this is right, and I've got doubts, and I'm damned, according yeah. to Romans fourteen twenty three. He asked this same emailer asked, would it be, uh, what about then? Would this argument say that it would be wrong to watch religiously themed movies for entertainment, like the old old movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Uh, there's been a couple more recently. Uh, Fireproof was one. Uh, Kirk Cameron was in Fireproof. I don't know if anybody saw that. I didn't see it. Uh, Did you you see it? I did see that. That was a long time ago. That's been a while, hadn't it, Kyle? uh, 2009? It's been out a while. The database. Uh, But then, and then there was one just last year, I think. God is not dead. But anyway, what about those? Well, again, I think that's an entirely different realm. You know, watching a movie. Uh, or a video, you know, you can watch videos of the virtual Bible study on our website. You can go there, and, and our recent, well, a lot of our old past programs are. You, you can watch a video rendition of the virtual Bible study. That's not singing, and anything that we had to say about singing wouldn't be pertinent to teaching. The, a, a video or a movie may be instructional; it may be entertainment, but as long as they're decent and moral and not blasphemous and vulgar, I don't see how the things we were saying about singing have any application or 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 make any implication toward whether or not you could watch a movie. All right, let us. What know, do you think? Let us know your thoughts. Certainly, you can't you you can't justify one by saying, "Well, we do the other one, so it's okay." Yeah, I like. Yeah, I mentioned before, Bill Hall made the comment something. A practice is not acceptable just because it's in harmony with something we already do. Yeah. I mean, 
you can't just, I mean, you can't say, well, it's all okay to do this because I do that. No, you got to prove, justify both of them. Yeah. So, uh, so you got to be careful about that. Yeah, but I, I don't see that watching a video that might entertain or instruct is, I don't see how your conclusion on that question has, has takes anything away from, or, or, or we draw anything from the considerations about music and singing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Have we got any comments along that line? All right. Um, Again, make up your mind uh, where you are confident that this is acceptable to God, and where you're where you're comfortable that uh, that, that God has authorized the activity uh, that you're engaged in. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move to our second question, Jacob. Okay. Number two. What do you think about congregations abandoning Sunday evening Whoa, services? Okay. All right. Well, now, what about that? now you talk about uh, getting into the realm of some opinion here. I think you've got lots of folks who maybe have crossed the line when it comes to opinions on this issue, because this is a hot-button issue, and certainly we all have preferences when it comes to our Yeah, you know, and our, there are a number of congregations that are doing this, and some in our area have, yeah. have taken this move. And what they typically do is maybe meet uh, a little longer on Sunday morning or mm-hmm. midday on Sunday, yeah. maybe have... Two lessons preached from the pulpit, maybe one period of Bible study, and the and the argument is about the same amount of time is employed that would be employed by two separate services on Sunday. I think that's the justification that some offer. It is, and um, and I've participated in services where there was just or, or with congregations where there was just one Sunday morning service and no Sunday evening or afternoon service. You know, the fact uh, of the matter is that was the norm. Prior to World War II, you know, Sunday evening services came about. I don't know if you know the history on that, but Sunday evening services came about after World War II when people began to engage in shift work. And because some, by virtue of their work shift, weren't able to make Sunday morning, Sunday evening services were added to sort of accommodate that. It was also the, the outcropping of people having more time, you know, prior to... The most recent generations, people worked. They worked tirelessly seven days a week, and they had to maybe take time off on Sunday morning to go to church. But the cows they had to get back to those cows. The cows had to be milked, yep. and uh, chores had to be done. And, yep. and so, really, Sunday evening services are a relatively new invention, well, less than a hundred years old. That's along the lines of what Anthony has said. Anthony said, "I would think if we went back only a hundred years, we'd find that no one had act- Sunday evening services." This is a relatively new idea, but older than most of us. We have to realize this is a totally a judgment, a matter of judgment. Uh, there is no requirement for Sunday evening services. There are pros and cons to evening services. On the plus side, it's more time for edification, learning, and of course, praise to God. On the other hand, it causes issues with the Lord's Supper for some people. It can be a burden on some, like the elderly, and it can be a hindrance to newer potential potential converts who see it as extreme. Having evenings free also opens up new opportunities for community outreach or group gatherings, which are often lacking. There's nothing wrong with having one service. We already limit ourselves to four hours a week. Why don't we double that or have uh, two-week gospel meetings? So we can't argue that eliminating the service is a sign of weakness because we already limit ourselves. I think Anthony's right. It's a judgment call. It's a judgment call. It's a judgment call, and congregations are autonomous. They can do they what, can do what they what choose works to. best for they, them. What's required? What What would you have to do to be faithful? Yeah. You have to meet on the first day of the week, right. uh, and you have to remember the Lord's death in the Lord's Supper. You have yeah. to lay by in store. Those yeah. are first day of the week necessities yeah. in the assembly. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to meet 
But if we did, if we met once and we did those things that are commanded, you'd have to say that congregation is faithful. Um, and you know, there's some congreg- there's some congregations in this area that don't meet on Wednesday evening. Again, that would be that would be nigh into blasphemy for some folks, and it certainly wouldn't be my preference. But if a congregation, for certain, whatever the reasons may be, decides that we're not going to have a midweek service, show me the passage I could go to to show that that's wrong. Yeah. I mean, it certainly wouldn't be my preference. I certainly think there are benefits to a midweek service. But there are some, certain congregations where maybe primarily elderly people who can't get out at night, or there are certain circumstances where the, the midweek service is not feasible. Well, there's nothing that says we've got to meet in the middle of the week. Certainly it's preferable, I think, in many of our uh, estimations, but no, certainly not something that's required. Um, the... Um I, 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 I'm just talking about preferences here. I guess we ended up talking a lot about opinions tonight, but my opinion and preference is I like Sunday night. I do too. You know, I, I like to have the whole day sort of bookended by worshiping God. And, uh, you know, just, it, it's, to me, I see it as a great privilege and blessing. Uh, and, and I'd be disappointed if the church here chose not to have Sunday evening services. That would not be to my preference. But, I mean, that it is preference. It's judgment. It's a preference, and, and and I don't think anybody can say, "Well, that church is not faithful. They're not having Sunday night services, or they're not having Wednesday night services, or they never have a gospel meeting." Those are all judgments. Uh, we could argue in favor of a judgment one way or the other, but you couldn't bind that. Certainly, I've got. I mean, I've the, the congregations that I've worshipped with that just do the one service. I don't think it's as effective as the two services. I think the the well, especially when they tack on to the morning service to somehow say it's okay to cancel this. I mean, you don't have to do that. You could meet for two hours on Sunday morning and and not meet at night. It's not like we have to get three hours in or four hours in on Sunday. you got to keep your time in. But when they do, when they tack that extra hour onto the Sunday morning service, it gets to be somewhat tiresome, especially for those with younger children who are yeah. fighting the kids for three hours. Yeah. Uh, but it's all preferences. So, uh, And you got this is the this is the thing. The sin isn't in the, the congregation who decides let's not have Sunday evening services. The sin is those who want to bind their opinion on others and say you're either, sinful either for, for not against, yeah. for not having that Sunday evening. Or service. you're sinful and, if you do, or yeah. you know, or you've got or somehow look at you and, and judge your motives and your spirituality. They're not meeting on Sunday. I think it's because they just don't want to worship God. Yeah. I don't. They're not all that spiritual of a congregation because they've canceled their Sunday evening service. Right. Be careful about that. That's where you're going to cross the line, not in the folks who decide not to yeah. worship on Sunday. Chris night. in the UK says, "Why is the Super Bowl or the State Fair more important than remembering what Jesus did for you? If it is, you've met in the morning, so you've done your bit. They met for worship, instruction, fellowship, and encouragement of the saints." Uh, a a c what oh w i f e worship instruction fellowship and encouragement uh, a wife he says a wife every man needs that uh, worship instruction fellowship and encouragement he did, made an acronym for us there uh, and he says it, it may need multiple meetings to do that properly properly worship instruction fellowship and encouragement of the saints I th- I think it's good but that's a judgment my judgment that's my judgment on that and so. Uh, again, I don't think we can be adamant in that one way or the other. Okay, let us know your thoughts. Uh, want to hear from you on the program? Where are we? Oh, we need. Let's. Are we up to a break time? Unbelievable. Uh, 
Let's grab a break. When we come back, we're going to go a little bit faster. What about a man that's paid just once a month? Can he just lay by and store All right, once you a get month? paid once a month, or you get paid biweekly. That's probably more common these days, biweekly pay. How often should you lay by and store? How often should you give your means? How often should you give as you've been prospered? Once a month? Biweekly? Let us know your thoughts. We'll be back right after this week's bullet point. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It's discouraging, even sometimes disgusting, to hear brethren continue to use the same old worn-out arguments to defend social drinking. Is it not clear that their stubborn adherence to these discredited proofs is evidence of a rebellious heart? For what it's worth, let's cover one of these old arguments that frequently circulates. It has to do with Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. That's recorded in John chapter 2. One man wrote, quote, The fact that the guests said the best wine was served after the inferior wine suggests quite strongly that the wine was alcoholic. It would be, and still is, normal practice to serve the good stuff first, then after the guests get a slight buzz, the cheaper stuff is served, unquote. Our response is this. If getting a buzz does not suggest some level of drunkenness, then what does it suggest? But beyond that, serving one's best to guests of anything is always the norm. If you come to my house for a cookout, I may serve steak. After that is gone, I may have to fix some hamburgers. Finally, I might need to break out the hot dogs. Do you see the point? The fact that the wine Jesus miraculously produced was better than what had been served before in no way proves that the former or the latter had any alcoholic content. In this case, the ruler of the feast was simply amazed that the best wine, speaking of its quality, not alcoholic content, had been saved until last. Furthermore, how could it be that our sinless Lord was supplying more wine, in fact, lots more wine, many gallons of wine, to people who were already experiencing a buzz? Someone has correctly observed as followed, quote, If Jesus made fermented wine for people to drink, there is nothing wrong with drinking alcoholic beverages. There is nothing wrong with giving it away or selling it. Furthermore, if Jesus supplied it, we ought to do the same and follow in his steps. That's what 1 Peter 2 verse 21 tells us to do. Who can believe that? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verse 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. We're back on the program tonight. Glad that you're here with us. And we'll remind you the program's brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, we encourage you to come and worship with us. Find out where we meet and our times of assembly at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you're not within driving distance, you can find sermons that have been presented to the College View Church 
recently on our website. You can hear those and learn more about what we believe and what we practice. We welcome your comments anytime at questions at collegeu.com. Listener during the break has mentioned a challenge that we presented back in last year, which we had forgotten about. It was a TV challenge. Unplug that TV and see if you can go without it. This listener's been going out with it without it for eight years, and uh, congratulations on that. Certainly, we talked about we, Kyle. We were talking about this about quiet time in the car. You need quiet time at home as well. You don't have to be immersed in entertainment twenty four seven as our culture teaches you must Definitely. be. There's something like everybody wants to be, especially with smartphones. You're just it just feels like you're so connected to gotta, everything. Gotta gotta have that connectivity. Your, your Facebook, everything, your email. It's like you just. It feels like it does feel like you're just connected to your phone, like you don't want to be out of reach of it because you're afraid you're going to miss something. So it's just, it is good you can to be turn immersed in that. Off. Yeah, we yeah. can do it without turn that. Turn it off and just good. I think you're right. Kyle. Spend some time with your kids. Uh, uh, spend some time with your wife. Spend some time with yourself and with God and with your Bible. Don't have to be immersed in media all the time. And so take the challenge. Turn off your TV. Unplug it. And see how that goes. And uh, certainly we think you'll benefit from that. Again, personal opinion. We're not binding that on anyone, but uh, we challenge you to try it out see if you don't uh, benefit from it. Real quick, Jeff in the chat room has chimed in to simply say the same thing we're saying. You know, there's, there's judgments to be made and reason to make them concerning whether to have two services on Sunday or not. And we just got to leave that to people's opinion. We got another opinion question, Jacob. The the third one we sent out well, Jeff's is a, in, Jeff's in the the metropolis of Lewis or Livingston, Tennessee yeah, tonight. Yeah, my Jeff, Livingston. Good to hear from you, Jeff. Thanks for being out there. Uh, so here's our next question. A man is paid monthly. He gives only once per month on on the Sunday after payday. Is that scriptural? I think this is another judgment call question. You know. Well, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm actually in that boat. I get paid once a month. You do. Uh, but but my judgment, and I'm saying that I'm saying is my my judgment is to figure out how much of what I make I should contribute to the Lord, and then I divide that up among the Sundays of the month and and contribute each week. Uh, I know the the reasoning of some is that if they only get paid that one week, then they only prospered that one week, and so they only give that one week. And I understand that reasoning, I, I guess. Uh, but I, I, to me, I feel like I'm, I'm continuously prospered. And it helps me remember how God has prospered me to every week give. <clears throat> Again, you're getting into the realm of uh, That's just conscience. You've got to do what uh, you've got to make up your mind that you're doing what God wants you to do. Now, I agree. First Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, even so must you do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, something aside, storing up as he may prosper. There will be no collections when I come. So it's as you prosper. I feel like if I'm working this week and I haven't seen the check for it yet, you've prospered. I've made money. I just haven't seen it yet. Now that gets a little more complicated. What about the farmer? Who's plowing the field all summer exactly. long? And he hasn't. He really hasn't he put any go- money in his pocket. He is going to prosper, but how much? He doesn't even know how much he's going to prosper how until much? until that yield comes in. Yeah, in August or September when he pulls it out of the field. So yeah. so that's a little bit trickier. So what do you do? Yeah. Uh, so there's some there's some. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point to make. In other words, I I know what my paycheck's going to be when I get it, and right. so and I that's, can, that's I can somewhat easily, unique in this culture we live in. Yeah, and I can easily budget that every. Right. 
part of that every week. To, right. and, I, and, and to me, that's what I prefer to do. Again, I, I think yeah. it helps me remember my abundant yeah. prosperity and how God's blessed me right. over and over. But like you said, here's the farmer, and he planted, he planted a crop. But he doesn't know. Is he going to get the early and latter rains? Is it, it, what kind of a what kind of a benefit is he going to get when his crop is harvested? He might get nothing at all. And he might pull it in and put it on the truck, and he knows he's got a good harvest, but he doesn't know how good it's going to be until he gets it to the market and he sells and finds out what price he's going to yeah, get. Yeah. So it, it is a, it's a challenging question. And so and so again, I think we're just going to leave that. We have to leave that one also in the realm of be be confident in your in your own heart as to whether you're doing the right thing or not. That's right. Make up your mind. Remember that God loves a cheerful giver, so err on the side of being generous. I think that's key. Chris in UK says, let him set aside weekly what he has desired to put in the offering, and if on three weeks it's nothing, for he has nothing, and then on the fourth week it's something, for that's when he has money. It may be a problem for salaried workers to give once a year. Uh, may not be wise. What if you only got paid once a year? I mean, I, I guess, Jacob, uh, and uh, that might be sort of the condition that the farmer's in. He gets paid effectively once a year when his crop comes in. What if you were a salaried worker and you only got paid once a year? Oh, well, there might be some other problems associated <laughs> yeah, yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be hard to budget. Yeah. It? But anyway, I, again, I, I think those are the principles to adhere to. Anthony says, if we're not in the assembly, is it wrong to give twice the amount the next week? If not, I guess it's not wrong for this man to give once a month. You get Anthony's point? In other words, I was away last Sunday. Maybe I'm traveling or I'm sick. And so I come back this Sunday, and which I actually think is a good thing because it helps the, the local congregation be able to carry on a continuous program of work. Right. Should I should I make up? I wasn't here last Sunday, and I didn't. None, none of my money got in the collection plate. Should I give twice as much this Sunday? I do. I think it's appropriate. I think right. it's right. Right. Uh, and so, you know, Anthony's point is well taken. You know, we're going to have to be consistent, whatever answer we give. Okay. And right. which I'm right now, my schedule. I work every other Sunday, but I do. That's that's actually what I do. I give on Sundays when I'm here. I try to give what I would give last week. I try to just combine it. And, yeah. I think I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, uh, and again, but if that's okay, then it's okay if you only got paid once a, a month to give just yeah. once a month. Yeah. So, okay, all right, all right. That and again in the realm of you got to decide. All right, uh, let's get into another realm. Okay, here's here's a here's a harder one. Yeah. Uh, if a man and his wife are unable to conceive, would it be okay to seek an alternative like artificial insemination from a sperm bank? Uh, and then a little bit of a follow-up. Or what about a surrogate mother to carry an embryo to term for a woman unable to carry a child to term? Yeah. What do you think about that? Wow. We want to be a little bit delicate here, but um, I'll tell you where I come from on that. Okay. I'm not hesitant to tell you where I come from on okay. that. Okay. If I'm going to father a child, I'm obligated to raise that child. You know, so I think the problem with that first question, uh, what about artificial insemination from a sperm bank? Well, whoever has donated that sperm is fathering a child when that's used in that fashion. I, I can't feel comfortable biblically uh, in that way. Um, I hope everybody understands what I'm saying about that. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, that would condemn adoption. No, not necessarily. Uh, 
in the case of an adoption, in a case of adoption, there may be factors that indicate that that's the right judgment to make. Maybe that's the best way I can provide for a child is to put it up for adoption because I'm not able to, I'm not able to effectively parent or provide for a child. And so the best thing I can do, give it up for adoption. I don't, I don't have as much problem with that, but this is, this is purposeful. There's never, there's no intention at all here of, of providing for the child that has thus been fathered. You know, I just, it's, it's without biblical precedent to be sure. Yeah. One of those things you're going to have to get comfortable. We're getting that answer quite a bit tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get it. I take it that maybe you wouldn't have so much problem with that. I hadn't thought about it that way. So I don't know. There are, there are some, there are some procedures that I definitely would have a problem with. And I think Kristen, you came mentions it. He talks about in vitro fertilization. Right. He says, if that, if that's what's meant, then it's the probable abortion of the unimplanted fetuses and baby. You know, that's true. In vitro fertilization, what they do is they take several eggs from the mother and sperm from the father. They fertilize the eggs in a laboratory condition. Several. Yes. Numerous. Right. They pick a viable one and implant it in the mother's womb. If she can, if she's able to carry that child to term, then they, what they do is they discard those other fertilized eggs. If we believe that life begins at conception and conception by definition, meaning when the sperm and the egg are joined, then you're, you're aborting multiple babies there. And I would have a big problem with that. Well, I knew some Christians who were in that spot and they, they had success with that procedure, but there were these other fertilized eggs and that, that was, that was plaguing their conscience. We've got to do something with these now. And so what are they going to do? And so you've got, you've got sort of an obligation there. Now you've got life and you need to do something with it. So it is certainly something to think about. I think people need to think about some of these reproductive issues more thoroughly before they jump into, to doing that. I, I, I don't know about a surrogate mother carrying an embryo for a mother or a woman unable to carry a child. I might not have as much problem with that. In other words, this embryo is formed by the sperm of the father, the egg of the mother, but the mother's womb won't carry that child term. But another woman is willing to have that embryo in her womb to carry it. It's a little, it's, it's certainly, there's certainly no biblical precedent for it, but I don't, I don't know that the principles of parenthood and responsibility and rearing children that you birth I don't know that those would be violated as much in that kind of a scenario. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got any uh, in the chat room? Um, <clears throat> guest nineteen thirty three says, "What if it is the husband's and they had it done with the same process?" So, uh, yeah. So maybe it didn't. It's not a donor. Maybe. Donor. Yeah, there's lots of ins yeah. and outs there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, and then uh, Joe says, if we can prove all things, what principle would we use to answer the question? Yeah, you're really, we're really out there in left field because those kinds of things were never even contemplated. In, in, but we do believe but, the Bible has principles that yeah. guide us in all things, and so we believe that we we can come to a conclusion. And, and again, you got to feel, you're going to have to feel conscience clear. And, and dealing with this thing. Anthony and, says in his email, he says, I see no biblical basis for condemning any of these practices. 
Not the ones that we mentioned. I do think, I, I, biblically, I would condemn in, uh, the in vitro process if you're going to just destroy, the destroy fertilized eggs. Yes. I, I think that would be a problem. Yes, yeah, something to think about. Again, these and, are you know, good, we haven't, we've never gotten too far off into this on the virtual Bible study, and for obvious reason, but there's just a lot of questions about reproductive practices and certainly some questions about birth control practices that... The conscientious Christian needs to investigate thoroughly. Doesn't take much to, to to do a search on that and figure that out. So if yeah. you you might want to check that out. But, and, 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 and what we're saying is, be certain that what you're doing is not aborting babies. That's that's the that's the end that you got to be aware of. Yeah. And certainly, fertility issues are very difficult and challenging issues. And so those who are uh, dealing with them, certainly we need we want to we want to support that. We don't want to say anything here that would uh, be upsetting to those people who. Have issues that they're working through. Just make sure yes, you're doing things. Sure. They, make right make sure you're not destroying life. That's that, right. That's the key. Now the, the sperm bank thing. Maybe you know, that's your. Maybe we we have. You just have to come to your own conclusion on that. I, I'm not comfortable with that, but we'll, we'll leave it there. Sure. Let's go. To, uh, let's take our last break. When we come back, we're going to grab this question about did the Lord use fertilized uh, fertilized. <laughs> Well, did, did the Lord use fermented wine when he instituted the Lord's Supper? All right, we'll take a break and get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the Virtual Bible Study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But... That's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. In 2013... 86.8% of Americans age 18 or older reported that they drank alcohol at some point in their lifetime. 70.7% reported that they drank in the past year. 56.4% reported that they drank in the past month. 24.6% reported that they engaged in binge drinking in the past month. That information is via the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. The Word of God says in Proverbs 23, beginning verse 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. 
At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight. Uh, Joe in West Virginia has a lot of the things we talked about tonight. This is a good summary. He says, when in doubt... Do that which we know is right by faith. I think exactly right, Joe. It's the same thing you do when you go to the refrigerator and you get out the milk. You know, is you're going to take a swill of that. Is it good or not? You know, I don't really have to have that milk. I'm, I'm going to throw <laughs> that out. That, I'm not taking a that, chance that. That date on there, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think I'll just... How old are these eggs, honey? I don't know. Well, we'll just throw them away. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. You, that, that's what we need to do with some spiritual things as well. Don't, yeah. don't be taking chances. Do what you know is right. All right, real quick, we're going to have to hurry through this. Uh, uh, on the question, did Jesus use alcoholic wine when he instituted the Lord's Supper, and should we be using fermented alcoholic wine when we observe the Lord's Supper? I want to answer that by way of offering some questions. Okay. First question is, does the fact that Jesus didn't call it wine, but rather called it fruit of the vine, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, for instance, in Matthew 26, beginning verse 27... Mark 14, beginning verse 23. Luke 22, beginning verse 17. Jesus, all of the times that the gospel accounts record that, they record Jesus referring to it as fruit of the vine. Now, I don't think we can draw a firm conclusion from that. I just think it's interesting. The word wine was available, was frequently used. It's often used in the Bible. Jesus didn't use that word. He specifically talked about the fruit of the vine. Okay. Would that be a hint that maybe... He was pointing us in the direction of unfermented drink for the Lord's Supper, possibly. Think about that. That's question one. Question two, does the fact that the Jews were to rid their houses of leaven during the Passover, would that indicate that unfermented wine was used? Exodus 12, beginning verse 15, Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread, even the first day shall you put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. Now, we know that yeast is what causes grape juice to ferment into alcoholic wine. It's clear that they were that, that the command in Exodus 12 was talking about the leaven that's in bread. They didn't even they didn't even have wine in the original Passover meal in Exodus. You read that, that it wasn't mentioned. That was something that the Jews began to do later. But a number of Hebrew authorities suggest that the leaven or the seor of Exodus 12:15 includes anything that could cause fermentation would be applicable to the juice as well. Uh, uh, a, a professor, Moses Stewart, said the Hebrew kamatz, translated leavened bread, means anything fermented, all leaven, anything fermented was excluded. And so, you know, again, we, we maybe can't say for certain, but there's, there's some hint that the Jews, ancient Jews, considered it best to exclude fermented wine because it included leaven, and leaven was to be completely removed from their houses. That might help us in making that determination. Um, what's the practice of Jews? Well, in the ancient practice, uh, one source said the wafer of uh, the wafer and the wine of the communion service instituted by Jesus as a memorial would be the unleavened bread and the unfer- unfermented wine of the cedar or Passover service. 
Another expert says the wine used would, of course, be unfermented. The Mishnah states that the Jews were in the habit of using boiled wine, which we understand from our studies, Jacob, would be unfermented. Mm -hmm. If it had been boiled, it would Mm -hmm. not be alcoholic. Uh, Modern-day Jews, uh, uh, one source, uh, John Allen, writing in Modern Judaism, said the Jews are forbidden to drink any liquor made from grain or that has passed through the process of fermentation. Their drink during the Passover is either pure water or raisin wine prepared by themselves. And so, again, not every authority would agree on this, but there's some indication that historically and even current practice of Jews is to not use fermented wine in their Passover observances. Now, the reason why this is important to us, Jacob, is that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at the very meal where he and the disciples were observing the Passover. And so if it could be established that the Jews excluded fermented wine from their houses during the time of the Passover, then it would go without saying that Jesus used unfermented wine when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the the weight of the argument leans in that direction. Uh, I don't know anybody who would condemn the use of unfermented grape juice in the Lord's Supper. That would, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who say, oh, you're wrong. You're not observing it properly if it's if it's unfermented. I don't know anybody who makes that argument, and so that would be the safe course of action. And the I think the 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 trend, or at least the the way I think the the Bible is pushing us, is in the direction of unfermented uh, grape juice in the Lord's Supper. Now, the root of this argument often is that uh, lots of folks would like to use that to justify social drinking, and they were there was even some of that in the discussion in a chat room last week that, well, if a congregation uses fermented wine and that's okay to drink a teaspoon of it in the Lord's Supper, then it's okay to go out socially drinking. That's simply the, simply the two are not equivalent. Yeah, if you I, could show that it was fermented wine. Yeah, no, you, don't, can't. you can't. I don't think you can. I don't think you no. can possibly show that they used fermented wine in the, the uh, initial observances of the Lord's Supper. But even if you could... The amount used there would not justify social drinking. In which the drinking is done for the effect. Yeah. Again, and, and the effect is what is condemned. Is if you're if you're influenced by that in any way, and that's why people drink socially is to be influenced by it. That is condemned. And then the other the other thing, Jacob, is why would Jesus use in the institution of the Lord's Supper? Why would he use a substance known to be so dangerous? Uh, in men's lives, thoroughly warned against in Old Testament scripture, why would he choose to use fermented wine in, in establishing a memorial of his death on the cross? I don't, it, to me, it logically doesn't make a lot of sense that he would have used that. Uh, you know, in other words, he's saying, use, drink this here, but man, be careful about drinking it at any other time. It doesn't doesn't seem to jive up to me. Again, that's just my thinking. All right. Lots of good discussion tonight, and, um, well, lots of, uh, well, make up your own mind kind of stuff tonight. Yeah, I, uh, and, you know, to me, that always leaves us just a little bit cold. You know, we'd like, we'd like hard and fast answers on all questions, but some of this is in the realm of, uh, things that haven't been addressed, we have to apply biblical principles to come to the answer. Certainly, for instance, in the matter in the question about various means of artificial conception. 
Well, that's definitely not specifically talked about in the Bible, but there are Bible principles, as you said, that we have to apply. And so, you know, apply them and do that in good faith and conscience. That's right. If there's a doubt, then don't do it. Uh, Do what you know is right. As uh, Joe says, when in doubt, do that which we know is right by faith. Uh, And so um, we need to make sure uh, that we do that. If we do that, we will not be wrong. We have to ask ourselves, is it worth the risk? I don't know if, well, first off, if it's if we're viewing it as a risk, then we're not doing it by faith to begin with. So, yeah, Joe, and real quick, Jacob, Joe in the chat room says, I agree with what you say about fermented wine, but you are aware that there are some churches of Christ that do use fermented wine. What if you were traveling and came upon such? Would you forego the communion? Uh, if if I knew in advance, especially if someone was making a point of that in advance, I, I think I would. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. All right. Kyle, any thoughts from you before we close it up tonight? No, that's pretty good, Joe. Thank you. Everything covered. Thank you for Thanks being for your help, Kyle. Thank you, Dad, for your time. Thanks, Jake. Thanks to all our listeners, and we. Uh, well, this program used up five listener questions. We need some more to yeah, pull that send up. Send in your questions. We'll build our stack back up. Yeah, send them in or your suggestions for topics. Uh, we'd like to hear those as well. Uh, send them in. Questions at collegeview. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.